We were in Colombia for the first two months, we were in Ecuador for three months, and then we were in Peru for the last three. Um, anybody follow us on, on Instagram? Some, some of you guys saw some of the pictures we posted. Um, so we, we did a lot of like stuff you can see um, and take pictures of, like working with um, kids programs, and um, I had an opportunity to, to go to the jungle and, and work at like this school for missionaries from the jungle who are being trained up to go back to the jungle um, to, to serve as missionaries. It, it's, it's crazy. Um, so, you know, there, there was this one guy that climbed up this 30-foot palm tree and cut, cut grapes off with a machete. And, you know, stuff, stuff like that you can see. Um, but really, our role was a lot, a lot different in, in, in that we couldn't really take pictures of what we were doing. We, we were traveling with um, a total of four different college students um, who had taken the year off before they either started college or um, one, of the, one of the guys was, was going back to school to be a teacher. Um, and we just got to walk through this step of their discipleship journey with them. Um, so we, we were able to see so many really cool things come from that. Um, one, of, one of the guys that was, well, the one guy. Um, <laughs> It was, it was a very off-balanced year. Uh, the one guy that was there for, for two or three months, um, he, he wrote us this letter um, when he left saying, um, I came on this trip being one of those Christians that like shows up on Sunday because I have to, and like that's what you're supposed to do. Um, but I've really learned how Christian life is supposed to be lived and how it's supposed to be this, this missional thing that we talk about at Missio all the time. Um, so, so it was really cool to see him grow in that regard. We had um, another student who worked at Chick-fil-A for, um, for like four or five years during, during high school and, and the year after. And like that's what she wanted to do. She wanted to, to rise up the pecking order. <laughs> it's Father's Day, guys. You, you got one dad joke, all right? Um, but but she, she, came, she came back going, wait a minute, I think... Like, I don't, I might be called to full-time missions. Um, so it, it was this really cool oppor opportunity to see these, these students grow from different places that they're at in faith. Um, one of them is, is walking through um, identity issues with some of, with three or four of her friends that have um, expressed those issues with her. Um, she's kind of like helping helping them see how, who they are biblically. Um, so that's been really cool. And then two of, these, two of these students are now discipling two of their friends back at home. And, and that, was our whole, that was our whole thing, is we want people leaving this year, building the kingdom up. So for, for us, it was, it was an incredibly awesome year. Um, and we are, we are um, gonna be here for uh, a couple months, and then we'll be moving back to Quito uh, come September. Yeah, so that's the Cliff Notes version. If you want to know about culture shock and traveling with kids and learning a new language and all that kind of stuff, feel free to ask us. Um, so we went into Link Year not really knowing what God had in store for us as long-term missionaries, but we knew we've been on the long-term mission track since we got married, since before we got married. Um, and so we were like, okay, 
this is step one. Here's eight months of our mission journey. What else are you going to do, God? And so the more we got to know Inkalink and the ministries, the more and more we felt called to Quito, Ecuador. Um, and in Quito, there's this beautiful ministry called Casa Elizabeth. I don't know why I'm talking so fast. I can't breathe. <laughs> Okay, Um, so there's a beautiful ministry called Casa Elizabeth, and it reaches young women who are between the ages of 12 and 18 and are pregnant due to trauma. And so the government takes them out of their homes and brings them to Casa Elizabeth to have a safe place to learn how to be mommies. Um, And my role will be in education and um, birth education and lactation education and then just discipling them so that they can disciple their little babies. Um, And so that will be my role. And Brian's role is a lot more up in the air right now. (laughs) Um, We know that God is calling us to Quito and we have this really firm calling, but we don't know where he's calling Brian exactly. We know that Brian has a heart for discipling young men and um, our ministries are very interconnected because these women are pregnant because of trauma, um, usually inflicted by men in their family. And so our goal and our prayer is that we can reach the whole family. How do we reach young men so that I don't have a job anymore, <laughs> so that young women aren't being abused and they aren't ending up pregnant at 12 years old? And so um, we are super passionate about missional communities. We just love that about Missio. So we've been talking with the pastor in Quito um, and how to bring that model of um, service to the churches in Quito. So there's a ton of Venezuelan refugees. There's young girls who are pregnant. There's all sorts of need, just like in Phoenix. And so we're hoping to um, educate pastors and walk alongside them and help the Ecuadorians reach their own community. So yeah. We don't know what that's going to look like yet, but we're super excited. So, yeah. the end. <laughs> Drop <laughs> the mic. I won't do that. Thanks. Thanks, guys. All right. Again, happy Father's Day uh, to you, dads. Um, this morning, I asked. I asked my boys who were awake, I'm like, hey, do you guys, do you guys know what, what day it is today? Do you guys know what today is? My youngest was like, no. Sunday? And I was like, yeah, you're right. And my oldest, I was like, hey, what day is today? And he's like, Father's Day. And I was like, yep. And who's the best dad in the world? You know, just thought I'd throw him up a softball. Like, here you go, son. All you have to, one word answer, you. That's it. That's all I'm looking for. Not hard. Who's the best dad in the world? He's like, oh, the daddy on Who's Your Daddy? And I was like, one, what the heck is that? I'm like, it sounds like some MTV reality show. And he's like, oh, it's this video game. And I was like, good to know. Your Xbox is going out for bulk trash. Uh, Your tablets are going out. You lost your tablets for the week. And he's like, no, no, I'm just kidding, Dad. I'm just kidding. Uh, He's like, it's you. I was like, okay, thanks. So, happy Father's Day. Um, Let's pray. God, thank you. Um, Thank you that you are a good father, a loving father. God, that if we have hurt or wounds or pain or guilt from our earthly dads, 
that you fill in those gaps. God, I pray for peace and healing in those spaces. And God, if we have a dad who is very loving and caring and supportive, Father, I thank you that you, we rejoice, that you rejoice with us because they reflected who you are to their children. God, I thank you that wherever we are lacking uh, in parenting, in work, in relationship, God, you will be made perfect. And your strength will cover our weakness. It's in your name we pray. Amen. All right, this morning we are going to be in Luke 18. And we're going to be talking about a Pharisee and a tax collector. And I'll be honest, uh, I, I kind of already taught this lesson. Um, Chris, was, Chris was talking to me um, on Monday and saying, you know, this, is kind of, this has kind of been the theme, what we're going to talk about today. This has kind of been the theme for the last three or four weeks in Luke. And he's like, I just don't, I don't know if I want to teach on the same subject over and over and over again. I feel like people would be like, oh, we've heard this one before. So I was like, well, I accidentally already taught this to the kids two weeks ago. Um, do you want me to teach it? And he's like, yeah, will you? And I was like, yeah, hang on, let me get my flannel board all worked back together and um, all of my illustrations and then we can go from there. And he's like, eh, maybe hold off on the flannel board, but everything else maybe you can do. And so um, I've actually kind of already taught this, but we're gonna go through it. So if I start talking to you like a five-year-old, please don't take it personally. It's just, I just fall back into teaching the little kids. And so with that, it might be a little more participatory because the kids just can't sit and listen for more than three minutes, so I ask them a lot of questions. So I may be asking you a lot more questions than you're used to, which full disclosure, as an extreme introvert, I hate hearing that from the pastor because I'm like, oh man, I hate that awkward silence. So just full disclosure though, we're probably gonna get more questions. But let's start in Luke 18, and we're actually going to read one, start in verse 1 and go through 14, but we'll spend most of our time um, in the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector. Luke 18, 1. Then Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. He said, in a certain town there was a judge who neither feared God nor cared about men. And there was a widow in that town who kept coming to him with the plea, Grant me justice against my adversary. For some time he refused. But finally he said to himself, even though I don't fear God or care about men, which I find really weird. Like why would you say that to yourself? Even though I don't care about God or, or men, I'll do this for this lady. Even though I don't fear God or care about men, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I'll see that she gets justice so, so that she won't eventually wear me out with her coming. And the Lord said, listen to what the unjust judge says. And will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will see that they get justice and quickly. However, when the son of man comes, will he find faith on earth? To some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everybody else, Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. 
the Pharisee stood up and prayed about himself. God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Let's pray real quick. God, thank you. Thank you that you are a faithful God who will not let us sit in our pride and our arrogance and self-righteousness because in those times, God, we feel like we don't need you and you are distant. So God, thank you um, for loving us enough to humble us, to help us understand our need for your mercy because we are sinners. It's in your name we pray, amen. So, in this story, we're going to focus on the, the Pharisee and the tax collector, but I wanted to give some context to this, because the first parable that, that Luke talks about that Jesus told um, his disciples, and then this next parable, it's the first time that a parable is prefaced with this, in, with this intention or purpose. It's the first time where he's like, okay, this is the purpose of, the, of this parable, Sometimes the parables that Jesus tells, he, he never really explains them. Some of them he will. He'll go on to say, this is what it means. For, for your sake, I'm gonna explain this to you because I want you to get it. This is the first two times where the parables are actually, look, this is specifically for his disciples to teach them to learn how to pray and to pray often. And then this next parable, it doesn't say who it was to. We can assume, since he just told the one before, it was to his disciples, and we can assume by the other parables and stories that Jesus was telling that Pharisees might have been in the midst because there seems to be a theme throughout Luke. He's just nailing these Pharisees. And he often used a Pharisee and a tax collector or a Pharisee and somebody else. And so this one, he specifically says, Luke specifically says, this parable was specifically for people who thought they were self-righteous. People who look down on other people. So this can include the disciples. I think some people often assume it's just directly towards the Pharisees. But as we'll see later on in Luke, after, the last, after Jesus just does the Passover meal with his disciples, they start arguing about who's the greatest. So this very well just could be directed just at the disciples but there were probably some Pharisees in the midst as well. But with the, with the Pharisee and the tax collector, again, we've kind of heard this theme in Luke. So based on scripture, or even based on history, what, what do we know about Pharisees? What do we either glean from scripture or if you've done some research or you have just heard through different sermons, um, talked about Pharisees. What do we know about Pharisees? They're scholars. Scholars? Yeah. They knew the law. Make up their own rules. Make up their own rules. They added to the law, right? Yeah. No. Why not? 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, they did not like Jesus. They tried to trap him, ask him questions. Yeah, they did not like him. Yes. Yes, that's a good one. Anything else? They thought they were doing right. Sometimes I feel sorry for them because they really, I think they really thought they were doing what was right. Mm -hmm. And they were working so hard to do what they thought was right. Mm -hmm. But somehow they were missing the mark. Yeah. Yes, I think oftentimes we get this, again, because of how Jesus uses them typically in a parable, it's to contrast them with somebody who has a humble heart or, or with somebody who actually gets the heart of God. And the Pharisee is often um, portrayed as someone who just, who just doesn't get it. And yet I think we need to remember that these, the Pharisees wanted wanted God. They thought that by doing the law, they thought by practicing the law perfectly, they thought by, um, someone said they added to the law, and they did that because they wanted to protect, they didn't even want to get close to that line of, hey, God says not to do this, so God says not to, um, not to commit adultery. So no, we're not gonna walk that line, don't even look, um, you can't even touch a woman. Um, you know, like, so they tried to add to the law so that they wouldn't even get close to the line so they wouldn't break the law and be, um, deserve punishment from God. But oftentimes, the Pharisees, God uses the Pharisees because their whole, yes, they just, they're blind to um, the heart of God. They thought by doing all of the right things, by keeping the law perfectly, that that would earn them favor with God. That that would earn them salvation with God. And God says, that's not how this works. So tax collectors, what do we know about tax collectors? Because he contrasts this Pharisee who in this culture, everyone in the church, every Jewish person wanted to be like a Pharisee. They, they, were, they thought Pharisees were the most blessed because they kept the law perfectly. So here you're, you have this perfect Pharisee who keeps the law and he contrasts him with a tax collector. What do we know about tax collectors in this day and age? Yes, they made their money by cheating. They're collecting money for their captors. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, these were Jewish people who worked for the Roman government who occupied Israel. So the Roman government was over Israel, and yet these, these Jewish men, you could, so as a tax collector in this day, you could actually buy, you could buy into, it's kind of like an entrepreneurial thing where you could actually buy into being a tax collector and the Roman government would recognize you and say, okay, you're now tax collector for this, for this province or this area of town or specifically for 
um, the buying and selling of goods. So when people come in and out of port or cross this road, you can tax them on what they're either bringing in or, or taking out. And so you would buy into this. And so, but as a Jewish person, so the Jewish people did not like tax collectors. They were traitors. They betrayed their own people. They were, they were the scum, right? I, I watched a video, Josh and Jen showed a video. They basically, they were jerks. They lied and steal and cheat their own people. Because what they did to get rich, they're like, oh, sweet. Because it was, it was seen as a business. It was seen as an entrepreneurial kind of thing. I can do this to make money. I might betray my people, but man, I'm going to have some money. Is they would take, they would add to what the Roman government, what the Roman government said they had to pay in tax. The Jewish people had to pay in taxes. So what I told the kids is like, so it'd be like the government say you owe taxes of a dollar. Right, we, have to, we all have to pay taxes at the end of the year. Some of, it, some of us get some back. But we all have to pay taxes on everything we do, right? It'd be like the US government saying, okay, you have to pay 3% of all of your income. But there would be a middleman that you would have to go to to pay your taxes to the US government. And this middleman would say, okay, I know you're supposed to pay 3%, but you actually have to pay 10% of your income and they would keep seven and then pay the rest to the US government. And oftentimes what, the tax, what these tax collectors would do would be bring false charges against people and kind of scam them out that way because they would, they would tax them in a way where there was no way for them to be able to pay all of the taxes. So it would put them in debt to them. And so Jesus is contrasting this Pharisee who does everything right, who wants to keep the law, and this tax collector who is hated by his own people. And he's telling them, he's telling this story to his disciples, to a group of people around him. And if you notice in this parable, the Pharisee stands up and he says, God, thank you that I'm not like these people. Man, thank you that I'm not like these people. He has this self-righteousness. What is, well, that's, that's kind of a churchy word. What does self-righteousness mean? What do, what do I mean when I say self-righteousness? Yes, yeah, Steve. Okay. Yes, yeah. It's, it's basically, self-righteousness is basically you are made right by what you do or how well you do it. That you will be justified, that you are made right in good standing with God based on how well you keep the law. Your good moral behavior. You choosing right. And that's where you get your self-validation. That's where you get your self-worth. That's where all of those things come from. It's basically a self. You're, you're valuing, you're validating yourself based on your works or what other people do. And so this Pharisee is just lost in his self-righteousness. God, thank you. 
man, thank you that I'm not like these people. He at least acknowledges God at the beginning. Right? God, thank you. And then it goes downhill from there. Thank you. Thank you that I'm not like these people. Especially this tax collector here. You see, when we're lost in our self-righteousness, when we're lost in this space where we start to validate who we are or what we're doing by the actions and behaviors of other people, we start comparing, right? We start comparing. And when we start comparing ourselves to other people, we can take one of two positions. We can either look at other people and, and, and go less than or greater than. Because sometimes when we compare our lives, we compare our actions my default is to go to the less than. It's like, man, am I being a good dad? And I look at men around me and I'm, I see where I'm lacking. I see myself as less than. Like, man, I wish, I wish I could be as patient with my kids as this dude is with his. Because I just lost it. Or man, I wish I could, I wish my kid, I wish I could, speak truth in ways and situations into, into my boys' life like this guy does, it just seems to come naturally to him. So I always tend to take the less than. When I'm looking at men as, as husbands, man, like, man, I wish, I wish I could love my wife like that dude does. Or in my job, man, I wish I could reach students like this guy does or this, or this woman does. They seem to connect with students in a way that I, I just don't sometimes get. And so I start to compare me and my different roles and responsibilities in my life to other people and I'm looking for validation for my life by the actions of others. And while I tend to take the default, my default tends to be taking the less than, when we compare we can also do greater than. We can look at other people's lives and be like, well, at least I'm not parenting like that guy. Right? Let's be honest. I'm like, sometimes when I'm in Walmart and some dude's just going off on his kid, I'm like, boys, 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 boys. Let's just take a minute and watch this so you can appreciate how good of a dad you have right now. You know, like, let's watch. You know, I've never done that, but in my heart, that's what I'm saying. Like, you guys are blessed to have me as a dad. Let's go. What do you want? Candy? Let's, all right, just pick something out. Or at work, when a student's complaining about another teacher, man, sometimes in my heart, I'm like, I'm not like that teacher. Or sometimes when people are struggling to be a good husband or a good dad, Man, in my heart, it's filled with pride at that moment. Because I'm like, well, at least I'm doing it a little better than those people. Full disclosure. Because I'm basing my righteous, basing how well I'm doing in each of my roles and responsibilities by what other people are doing. And that's what this Pharisee's doing. He's like, God, man, thank you I'm not like these people. I am so much better than this, these people. I fast twice a week. I tie the tenth of everything that I get, everything that I get, not just on my income or on what I sell. Everything that I get, I tithe. 
It's like, man, look what I'm doing. And God's like, man, this dude's missing it. He's blind to how lost he is. And he contrasts it with this tax collector. who knows he's not worthy to be at the temple. He doesn't even stand with everybody else. He knows based on his actions, based on his behavior, based on his life, he has no place being there. Because those other things that the Pharisee was talking about, he does. He does cheat. He does steal, he does lie. And so he stands far off and he knows he's not worthy because he can't, he can't even look up to heaven. He can't even lift his eyes up. In shame and guilt, he, he keeps his head down and he beats his breasts and says, God, have mercy on me. Not only does he know that he's not worthy to be there based on his life and his actions, but he knows his life and actions deserve punishment. His life and actions deserve consequences. And yet he comes before God and says, I know I don't deserve anything. Have mercy. Have mercy on me. And he calls himself a sinner. See, this guy, this guy sees his life and his actions and his behaviors through who God is not on what he has done. We talk about, oftentimes this this parable's the pride of a Pharisee and the humility of the tax collector. Whereas pride is us saying, hey, I'm gonna get my validation and my worth by how better I'm doing it than other people, or the same side of that coin, the same side of that pride and self-righteousness coin, either I'm doing it better than you, or... Same, you're still getting your sense of worth and validation of life from others. You're either, I'm better than you or I'm worse than you. Same coin, just different sides. So we're even at a place of pride saying, God, I know better. God, you messed up when you made me or you made me perfect and messed up on everybody else. We live in this pride and are lost to what God is offering or we're in this place of humility and humility is not a place of shame and guilt for us not being good enough. Humility is understanding your your right position in light of who God is. Humility is filtered through God, your creator, who does not look down upon you, his creation, and say, man, you're doing it perfectly or does not look down at his creation and sees you as less than. Be like, man, I wish I would have made you a little bit more like this, or a little differently. He looks down on you, his creation, and says, it is good, it is good. And so, we have the, at the end, he he goes on to say, this man, the tax collector, who understood who he was in light of who God is, this man goes home justified. The Pharisee goes home still lost, still thinking he has it all together. 
still not made right in the eyes of God, is right in his own eyes, but not made right in the eyes of God. The tax collector, the hated jerk, the guy who nobody likes, his own people despised him because he turned on them. And there's a good chance even the Roman government hated him too because he's like, they're like, dude, you turned on your own people. That's messed up. Nobody liked this guy. And yet understanding that who he is in light of who God is, this guy goes home justified. And he ends with, for everyone who exalts himself will be humbled. And he who humbles himself will be exalted. We have a God who will not let us sit in our pride. We'll sit in our self-righteousness. Who has so much more, who's who's waiting to speak truth to who you are, and yet most of us are missing it because of how we compare ourselves to other people. Where are we comparing ourselves? Where in your life right now are you, this isn't a, I know I've asked some questions, this is not a, you don't need to, Steve, you don't need to answer this one if you don't want to. Where are you comparing your life? And oftentimes, this is gonna take some, some internal kind of working through. Because most of us don't out loud say, boys, look at this, like you have a great dad. Or most of us don't out loud say, I wish I was like that person. I wish I did it like that person. Or I'm better than that person. But in our hearts, as we begin to, as we be, begin to reflect what the Spirit does in our hearts. There are things where I'm like, ooh, yeah, that's, that is not from Jesus. And God does not let us sit in our self-righteousness. He allows the consequences of comparing, which often leads to shame or guilt or exhaustion because you feel like you need to live up to or model other people instead of, instead of Christ. He will humble us by allowing the consequences of our self-righteousness play out to where we get to a point where we're like, God, I cannot do this anymore. I need you. Have mercy on me, a sinner. And the reality is, and this is kind of ironic, the irony here is Jesus is the only one who could have been boasting that he did it perfectly. Jesus is the only one who could have stood off by himself and said, God, thank you that I'm not like everybody else. Thank you that I'm not like these men. Thank you that I'm not like this tax collector. Thank you that I'm not like these adulterers or evildoers or liars or stealing thieves. And yet, Jesus never says that. The one person who could have boasted in his self-righteousness, instead, Paul writes in Philippians, Philippians 2, 5 through 11, 
Instead, Jesus has this attitude. Who had, Jesus, who had every right to thank God that he wasn't like any of us. Paul says this, your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every other name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Jesus came being fully God, fully human. Did not think, did not lord it over us. Did not shame us. Did not guilt us in believing what he was speaking about. But he came and served with a humble heart, knowing who he was. His identity was found in God and God alone, not by comparing himself to anybody else. Because if anyone could have taken the greater than self-righteousness route, it would have been Jesus. But he came and served and healed and listened and brought peace, was gracious, was firm, was passionate about his God's will. And that is the attitude that he's calling us to in this parable. Not one of self-righteousness, but one of understanding who we are in light of who God is. Amen? Amen.